0: He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst.
1: Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud?
2: Munson's at the movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host I'm joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth? What is called a born
1: loser? A real Munson.
2: <laughs> and talk a little bit
1: about what's going on in their worlds. We'll start this time with Case. All's good on my end, although I do have a public apology to make. I'm very embarrassed about my performance on the last podcast. We recorded on a Friday night and I didn't make one reference to the movie Friday. And I'm sorry and I'm embarrassed. I forgive you. How dare you? I am not embarrassed to say I watched Undeadly Ground starring the Steven Seagal and the Michael Caine in preparation for this episode. You might be shocked to hear this, but Michael
3: Caine didn't get along with Steven Seagal like (laughs) most actors who have ever worked with Steven Seagal didn't get along with him. James. Uh, I saw a Cocaine Bear with Kyle and I'm thinking potential sweep at the Oscars. It was... <laughs> I won't spoil the plot for you guys, but it was a tremendous film. My honest review of it was it is, it's funny and gory and stupid and I kind of wish it was a little bit more stupid, but it was stupid. And so, like, good. Absolutely should see it. I had a ton of
2: fun. I wish it went, like... Full cartoon. Got it. You don't need to watch the Eternals to know what happens in this movie. You just need to know the <laughs> word cocaine and bear. And you know everything you need to know walking <laughs> into the theater. Tara Reed in this? No.
3: <laughs> no, but it is a similar vibe as Sharknado. <laughs> I will say that.
2: Aubrey.
0: Oh, I'm good. For those of you out there following the Santa Fe boys basketball run, we it was very short. So thanks for your support. We lost our first regional game after a a three-and-a-half-hour drive to South Florida on a school night. So that's how Florida does education and sports. Other than that, it's been good. Enjoyed the prep for this.
4: All right, Rigby. Yeah, speaking of Oscars, we're uh, coming up on that day. Looking forward to it. The one thing I'm not looking forward to is every lame, every dumb, all-it, stupid, winning best picture. That movie sucked. I hated it. Hated it. Which one? Are you serious? Everything everywhere all at once. Hey Wow. It. Rigby. Wow. Rigby,
3: I will be completely vulnerable with you here. I cried watching that movie. That's how much I enjoyed it. Wow. <laughs> the,
4: the one saving grace that it has is that James Hahn is involved in it, which who I love, but other than that I just I was not into it at all. I watched the whole thing, I didn't turn it off because I knew that you guys would get mad at me if I said I turned it off. So I did
2: watch the whole <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. You know you know us so well. Very impression of you. Yeah. My update is just sadness for you all and that uh, Jay Ledbetter was supposed to join us. He was with us for the Holly Hunter and Dan Hedaya episodes, but Jay's life is chaos. So we're going to go old school Munson's this time and try to tackle this thing without a guest. So we miss yeah. you, Jay. We'll catch you next time. All right, birthdays. March 9th, Rigby. What do we got?
4: All right, first up, we got Oscar Isaac. James, you can't guess this one because you can't guess your own birthday. So Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know what James looks like, he looks like Oscar Isaac. <laughs> Just like a more Italian version.
2: Oscar's <laughs> been in some great movies, Ben. He has. Max Machina is incredible, obviously. Yep. Yep.
4: Most Violent Year all the Star Wars movies, obviously.
2: Inside Lewin Davis. Inside Lewin Davis, he's incredible.
4: Inside Lewin Davis, excellent movie. He was awesome in that. Mm-hmm.
2: These guys are always older than they look because they all have yeah access to doctors and incredible regiments, skin regiments. So I'm going to say Oscar is probably in his mid 40s, probably 45.
0: I'm going
3: 43. I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say I, th- I think he's younger. I think it's that he's just letting the gray. You know, fly because he's got the beautiful locks going. I want to say he's
4: forty.
2: Forty-seven, Aubrey, you win. He's
4: turning forty-four. I'm back,
2: almost forgot him in a movie that I've liked. We've talked about multiple times. It's Ten Years, where he plays the uh, the singer songwriter who goes back to high school. Yeah, he is good in that movie. Hmm? So we
4: only got two this week. Brittany Snow, mm. you probably know her for a lot of the teen movies that she's in, but she's in like Pitch Perfect. Underrated, John Tucker must
2: die. Cinematic classic. She's in uh, X too, most recently. I was so gonna my, say uh, X. I liked X. That was good. She plays a porn star in that. Yep. <laughs> britney Snow, I think, is probably just a couple years younger than Oscar Isaac. So I'm gonna say britney Snow is 40. That might be high, but we'll, we'll I'll set the bar.
0: 42. I think I'm gonna go a little lower. 35.
4: By process of elimination, Aubrey wins again. She's turning 37. Sorry, Brittany. I'm I'll take the win. This one was different because I feel like she has been around a long time. So I actually expected her to be to be older. Yeah. And she, yeah, 37. Good for her. Yep. And hairspray. Mm-hmm. Hairspray. James Marsden.
1: And Aubrey's good at Googling. So it all oh, it all adds up.
4: Yep. I'm really good at it. Happy birthday to Oscar and Brittany. Have a good time celebrating.
2: Five actors onto the wheel for this episode 80. Oh, man, you could just feel us inching closer to 100 here. Woo. Five actors that the list generated were Evan Jones, Shirley MacLaine, Michael Sarah, Denzel Washington. Some biggies on there. But the wheels selected Michael Caine with that famous, famous Cockney accent that everyone loves to mock. We've been on a run lately of actors with less than 75 credits. And boy, did we break that streak with Michael's 176 film credits. Mostly film too. There's not a lot of television peppered in there, and this man has been acting since nineteen forty-six. He and Maggie Smith are the two old heads of the people we've covered on the podcast. As always, we usually I usually give this disclaimer for our listening audience, but for Michael, we're gonna not talk about all 176, but we'll talk about is a lot of the biggies, some of the surprise ones, some of the poopers, stinkers in there, and whatever else we find interesting in between. But first We're going to start with some actor trivia and see if James can stump us Fast and Furious style. We don't have a guest here,
3: so you guys know the rules. But for those of you listening, if you have not joined us before, I'm going to read three facts here, two of which are going to be true about Michael Caine, one of which is not going to be true about Michael Caine, but will be true about one of the many illustrious actors in the Fast and the Furious franchise. You guys here are going to have to guess which one that is. Fact number one. At a young age, he was acting in a school play. His fly was undone, which led to the audience laughing at him. He enjoyed the response so much that he actually credits it as the reason he started to pursue acting. Fact number two, he famously chose his stage name by combining part of his mother's maiden name for his first name in a play on his energetic nature for his last name. (laughs) In fact, number three... Is the 17th highest grossing actor in history. This is as of 2018, with his movies bringing in $3.492 billion throughout his career. Wow.
1: Mm. That's good. That's good. Throw my guests in the ring first. Take the Lie is number two, and that is about Gal Godot, who plays Giselle Yasher in the Fast and Furious universe. I only say her because I, it's she's like the most unlikely connection to Michael Kane No logic. <laughs> just a lazy, outlying guess. Not a bad way to approach it.
4: I think two's the lie as well. I'm just trying to figure out the, the Fast and Furious star. Cardi B. Yeah. <laughs> Can't say Vin Diesel. That's too obvious. Ooh.
1: Sounds just right obvious to me.
4: I'll go to the grave with Craig on this one. I'll go Gal Gadot as well.
2: Ooh, um,
1: look at that!
2: Yep. I'm going to say... It's also fact two. So I know he's got a stage name. I don't necessarily know where the stage name came from, but I know he's got a weird first name. So I think that was actually none other than Brie Larson, because Brie reminded of her remote, her favorite cheese. And it was a, a quite lively brick of Brie cheese. And that's why I don't know. I'm just coming up with shit. That's the best I can come up with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to pick new actors in fast 10, you know, guys, Kyle nailed it.
0: <laughs> I have to go with two also. Ooh. And I'm going with Ja Rule, because <laughs> his energy rules. That's why I picked that stage name.
1: Our guessing philosophy tonight yeah. is fucking awful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm also running out of rappers to guess during this. So
3: fact, no one gets fact number one, and that is... Because it is correct. At the age of ten, Kane acted in a school play where he was actually the father of the ugly sisters in Cinderella, and his fly was down, and everyone laughed. And he said he's been chasing that high ever since. He's like some people would find it horrific. I thought it was awesome, and he, that is why he just continued. At I think he was even, uh, I think he graduated high school fairly early and continued to uh, pursue acting around like the age of like sixteen or seventeen. Everyone guessed fact number two, but first I want to fact number three. Seventeenth uh, highest-grossing actor in history. So that's actually a Vin Diesel fact. Yep. Kane is number eighteen, though, which is he's nipping on his heels. He's one spot behind Vin. He his movies have brought in three point four three nine billion dollars, so he's right there. Uh, and yeah, you guys nailed it. Fact number two, also not true. So we have two lies in this one. He did not choose his lane uh, name by combining part of his mother's maiden name for his first name and a play on his energetic uh, nature for his last name. He's not Michael Cocaine Bear. <laughs> That's actually a Vin Diesel fact. Michael Caine was born Maurice Joseph Micklewhite. And so originally, he just went by Michael White, but there already was a Michael White that was acting in London. So his agent let him know that. And he's like, uh, okay, well, I'm on the phone with you. Let me look around for some inspiration. And there was a movie playing called The Kane Mutiny, which is being shown at a local theater. And he decided to change his name to Michael Kane. He uh, later joked on television that his stage name could have been Michael 101 Dalmatians. He was so desperate at that time.
4: That's a great quote.
3: Yeah, it's a great quote. I love it. One thing I've realized in looking up his quotes is he is a hysterical person, just a naturally funny guy. Mm
1: -hmm. That fact about how he started, James, that sheds a lot of light on how diverse his character is and how likable he is in some of these roles. Oh yeah. All right, Case, tell us a little bit about his snapshot and box office history. Despite having an impressively long career. There are many holes in the data, and there were, I wasn't able to find complete data for a lot of his movies. And I would say I've got data on over a 100 movies in our spreadsheet this week. <laughs> but of that 100, almost 50 of them were lacking a complete data set. We're missing a lot of data here. Chalk it up, international box offices, and or... You know, how long ago some of his films were released. Either way, it is going to hurt him in comparison to our other performers. With a career like his, it's really tough, and we're going to find this out tonight. It's really tough to narrow down specific films to really get focused on. So instead, I thought for the first time, I would go through some of his impressive firsts as it relates to box office. Ooh, first big budget film, and from what I could gather, his first American film, Hurry Sundown. In 1967, with a $4 million budget. First real bomb of his career was The Island in 1980. That movie lost $6 million. Razzie nominated. This one's close to my heart. First $50 million budget on Deadly Ground in 1994 with the Steven Seagal the humanitarian. <laughs> First $50 million movie, A Bridge Too Far in 1977. First $100 million budget, Batman Begins in 2005. This one's going to shock some people. First $100 million movie, Miss Congeniality in 2000. First $1 billion movie, The Dark Knight. Yes, I said $1 billion, Dark Knight. His first 90-90 rating, Zulu, which we'll talk about here shortly. His first zero critic rank, Beyond Poseidon in 1979. And his first zero fan rating was Beyond the Limit in 1983. Like I said earlier, he doesn't rank well as well as he should because of his missing data. But based on the data we do have, he's fifth in total box office. He's at $8 billion. He's 44th in star meter. 37th and 62 in critic and fan rankings, respectively. And he's 68th in both box office metrics we look at. And you pull that in, it's a surprising little 62. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, I was really surprised by
2: that. I mean, you look at his Rotten Tomatoes and there's a lot of movies that are rotten. There aren't as many, like the highs are highs and the lows are
1: lows with his stuff. His average critic ranking is 56.8%. His average fan ranking is 56%. With the amount of movies he's done, it's just, he's got both ends of the spectrum and everything in between. So it just averages everything out.
0: Yeah. yeah, he's got so much stuff. It's almost like you can curate your own Michael Caine experience. Yeah. Just avoid all the bad stuff. And I was like, oh, Michael kane's the greatest actor I've ever seen because I've seen <laughs> these 30 movies.
2: Yeah, that's
0: <laughs> or true. Or he could be the worst.
2: Yeah. Yep. If you watch the wrong
1: 30, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you watch On Deadly Ground and The Whistleblower in the same two day span, and you may not think he's that great of an actor. <laughs> Watching him, you could just yell at people in the
2: swarm. And you might be like, wow. This is, I don't know about this guy. Okay. Interesting. Thanks, Craig. Yeah. His first major role we're going to call is 1964, so the early days of Michael Caine. Again, this guy has been around since 1933, so he started acting while he was displaced, while his family was displaced from World War II, as James talked about when he was 10. Did most of his schooling in London. Shocker, when you hear his accent, I wonder why. In his early days of, like, a young professional, he worked as a file clerk and a messenger for a film company. So that was his first introduction to the film world. Technically, if you look at his IMDb, his first role was in 1946. So when he was 13 years old in a TV movie called Morning Departure, he played the T-boy. I don't, I couldn't find a clip of that. So I can't verify that one one way or the other. Shocker. Yeah, right? No kidding. But as James talked about, he did adopt his stage name, Michael White, in 1952. So he was... The big thing that happened in 1952, which informs a lot of his early roles, especially in the 50s and 60s, was he served in the British Army. He was in the Korean War from 1952 to 1954. But this also felt like a little bit of a part-time thing, because he's very busy during those years doing work as well. But he He's actually been
3: outspoken politically pretty much from the jump he's like, I was actually pretty sympathetic towards communism because I grew up poor and I felt like the British government didn't do enough for my family. He's like, and then I went over there and I realized their government doesn't like them either. So maybe communism isn't working out over here. And he's been pretty outspoken ever since. So keep in mind, he's like, what is he 20 when that happens? And even when he became immediately famous, he had comments on British politics from the jump
2: Uh, not unlike a lot of other British actors we talked about he got his start really on the theater side this guy did a ton of theater in the 50s and 60s starting with he was on the set of the play Wuthering Heights where he met his first wife Patricia Haynes and they were married until 1962 so they're married for nine years and then his next role, at least on the screen, was in an uncredited uh, role in Panic in the Parlor as a sailor in 1956. You start to see this entry into military or military adjacent roles here. I think he was a consultant on that movie as well. Well, that w- wouldn't be shocking in the slightest, but you could have made that up, too, and I would totally believe it. Not that creative. <laughs> Tying to that theater scene, what I would call probably a leg up in his career that led to some other roles later is he was Peter O'Toole's understudy in the stage scene in the late 50s, so around 1958. And when you're around Peter O'Toole, that is going to introduce you to some people, going to probably introduce you to some projects, and it's one of the best humans to learn from in the 50s there, if you're learning how to be a stage Without a doubt. So between fifty six and sixty four, in that eight year span, he did twenty one different TV spots. Like, but there's so much here. If you go to IMDb, there's a huge chunk of stuff before Zulu in nineteen sixty four. So twenty one TV spots, including a four episode run on BBC Sunday Night Theatre, playing different characters between fifty six and fifty eight, and he did eighteen feature films or TV movies during that time, and many of them are war related films or shows. So he came out of the army and stayed in a lane for the first eight years of his career. He does not look back on that very fondly.
3: I think he referred to it as, like, professional purgatory.
2: hmm Yeah, he could have been very easily typecast into that for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested as we talk about it to see where that pivot happens. So riding the coattails of the military roles all the way into what we're calling his first major role, which is 1964 Zulu. He plays L- Lieutenant Gonville Bromhead. And this was the review that Jay was supposed to handle. So we are going to just kind of piecemeal this together based on other other folks of, who have
0: seen this. So set in the 18th, late 1870s, <clears throat> it's uh, the British armies fighting the Zulus in Africa. It's really just kind of a story of an outnumbered British force fighting against like, an overwhelming amount of Zulu warriors. So hearing about this movie, I had to watch this. <laughs> being it was made in 1964 I was like I need to see what happens here and to my pleasant surprise this movie goes hard That's- I love this movie it is really good I mean there's some stuff in it it was also made what, in the 60s so like kind of know what you're getting when you go into it it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be it could have been so much worse yeah like you get sideswiped too many times by like just like whoa!
2: Outside of them constantly going oh no 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 all the time you're like all right I get it like come
0: on. Now. I think my biggest problem is like I don't think a Zulu person said like an actual word, Mm-mm. but like that maybe that part. Other than that, it's as as a war movie, it's it's like brilliantly like written and paced. Stakes are clear. It's very clear to see what these guys are going up against. You get to spend time in their camp to see who's there. It's a lot of sick soldiers, a lot of injured soldiers. They're there to do. I think they're there to build a bridge. So they're not even there to really like engage in any fighting. And this kind of just shows up at their doorstep. This okay. This is a fun sentence. Outside of the British imperialism fact of this, it's a pretty like kind of heroic story (laughs) of war in that sense. That's the way it's positioned, and it works. Like you can excuse what's actually happening from a political sense. It it works from like a heroic story standpoint, which to me, I found to be even more interesting though, to like walk away from that and be like, yes, obviously this is terrible from a political sense that the British are even here doing this type of thing. But what role do the men that are fighting in this war play in that takes you? If you want to, this movie allows you to, to go into a lot of different, really interesting places. It's, it's an incredible movie. Michael Caine is, is really good. He's like Loki, kind of funny time to time. And um, what's a really serious role? And he has a lot of makeup on. Those are my biggest takeaways of him.
2: <laughs> he's a lot of makeup. He's pretty charismatic for being a really young actor. I mean, he's.
0: When he steps on the screen, the movie does step up a little bit. Mm-hmm. As soon as he starts going, his charisma shines through pretty clear which that's what a movie like this needs because it's relatively slow-paced it's it's kind of long it doesn't feel that long but he helps that just someone that's like really easy to watch and can fill up the screen with energy
1: I feel like every movie gets better when he comes on I agree yeah.
3: interesting side point with this movie he is playing kind of like a upper class british officer and he is notably has a cockney accent which i guess in England is like a working class to lower class, and because of how he looks and his stature, he was giving the the more snobby role. And he signed a seven year contract with Embassy Films, who did the production of Zulu. Uh, Joseph Levine released him from that contract because he thought he tested as gay on screen. Whoa! And he's like, yeah, and like that's not. We want to put you in movie like war movies and like. I don't know. It's just not your thing. Michael King called him out in his uh, memoir. He's like, yeah, and after that, I decided, like, if my presence is going to make my sexuality come into question, then I'm I'm going to ham it up as much as possible. And I think in his next role, he played Horatio in Hamlet. And he's like, I'm going to use that to, to my benefit. And it probably is for the best if it got him out of a seven-film uh, contract with someone who is looking into things like that as a reason yeah. to fire someone.
1: Often, those early, long film contracts, actors and actresses sign, they end up being shitty contracts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It did him a favor, because he probably avoided six dog shit movies.
0: Like the Zulu sequel.
2: <laughs> there is?
1: There's another Zulu movie. Come on. Yeah, well, there you go.
3: Yeah, I think he ends up getting nominated for an Academy Award pretty shortly after. So I think uh, things worked out for him.
2: Yeah, James, that that man Levine has been dead since before we were born, and you just <laughs> get all over his grave, and I love it. Yeah, at least we can rest <laughs> easy knowing he's
3: in hell. You he know. died in 1987.
0: <laughs> <laughs> also, I told you guys he had a lot of makeup on in that movie. He did. He really did. This is the first his first major role,
1: and it's a ninety ninety audience and critic rating
2: yeah i know earlier i talked about where does his career pivot a little bit from the military roles and i think it's a uh, 1965 <laughs> <laughs> because the big role he takes in 65 was he played harry palmer his first of five roles is harry palmer in the Ipcress file a role that got him a bafta nom so coming off of zulu he gets a, a british film nomination for his next role when you look back you're like why did they hire him in Gold Member? Well, he was Harry Palmer. Yeah. Like the, one of the original spies,
1: right? Shit, he's probably about 20 years early, or he would have been Bond. Bond instead of Sean Connery. Mike Myers has said that a lot of Austin Powers'
3: mannerisms are based off of, you know, swinging 60s characters that Michael Kane plays. So Harry Palmer and Alfie, where it's this charming smooth talking man who's kind of a womanizer and cool obviously mike myers makes him cartoonish and austin powers but that's why uh, he made sure he got him in the
2: second one that's cool and we'll note the other harry palmer films as we go along to mention them but this is the big one that kind of set it off for him in 1966 he played michael in the wrong box then he hits what we're going to call his highest critic score which there were four options at 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it was like, take your pick. We're going to go with Alfie because Alfie is one that he is very well known for and early in his career has a lot to talk about. So this movie was actually uh, remade. It's
3: one of two movies that were remade of his where Jude Law plays the Michael Caine character. Alfie, the original, came out in 1966 and Michael Caine plays the title character, Alfie. Young man from working class London, not a stretch for our boy. He comes across, dude, he is like overconfident, charming, and completely self-absorbed. He's a womanizer. It's all about him being uber successful with the ladies and using them kind of for his immediate pleasure without the emotional involvement. It's shown as like a a playfulness in through his eyes, but you see that it's kind of emotionally devastating for all of those he leaves in his wake, which I thought was fascinating for a movie to kind of be that nuanced in the mid 60s. I didn't expect it. His callousness towards these women kind of contrasts with the delusion that he's staying because it it breaks the fourth wall and the delusion is that he's causing no harm. One of the reasons I find this movie refreshing is that it is such an old movie and I bet that the breaking of the fourth wall at that time probably didn't happen that often. Like He starts off the movie talking directly into the camera and it continues. And I was like, wow, I, I didn't see that in older movies.
2: I googled it, James. It's like the third or fourth movie that ever really did that. There were a few in like the 30s or 40s. I guess it's,
3: it's kept the movie fresh when you watch it today. He's super charming in it and he's just sleazy enough for you to know that he's not a great guy and you get to watch his character grow from beginning to end. He's nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor. I think this movie actually got like four Academy Award nominations mm-hmm. and he says that this is the movie that made him a star it, you know almost instantly he's like i'm recognizable in america i could base the majority of my career off of how well this movie did a couple of funny tidbits i found from here is uh, he has a few scenes with uh actress by the name of Shelley Winters and because of his his cockney accent is so strong she actually couldn't understand him. And so she had to wait for his lips to stop moving and just respond with her line. She's like, I didn't actually know what he was (laughs) saying. And so I would just have to wait for him to stop speaking. That is great. The other one that I thought was funny is that he makes a joke in the very beginning when he's talking to the audience. And he's like, I usually, you know, I sleep with women who have husbands and their husbands are usually really pleasant guys who are boring, but you know, they're nice guys. He's like, you know, the type of people that usually root for like Chelsea football, which is funny because he ad-libbed that line and he's a fan of Chelsea football. And I think that's a great way to like <laughs> throw your team in there. Like I would love to just shit on the jets if I was in a movie and be like, you know, like these dumbasses who root for the jets. I, I thought that was great that he just put that in. It's like the third line of the movie. Hilarious.
2: James, what are these, what's this word you're using? Women? I don't know what that is. All I know are birds.
3: <laughs> birds is still a slang uh, used in England today when it comes to, I guess for us, we call them chicks. I guess that's still technically a bird slang. Yeah. It's funny. At one point, another character is like, can you just stop calling my wife a bird or an it? Can you just call her like my wife? Like, (laughs) it's kind of insulting. (laughs) He's like, well, you know what I mean? Birds, it. It's all the same shit.
4: This is my favorite performance of his throughout his long career. You nailed it, James. He's charming and he's sleazy, but you really appreciate the character turn that he makes throughout the movie. When he realizes that his actions, you know, have consequences. And I think a lot of men probably saw this in the swinging 60s in London and
0: and probably realized, you know, I got to clean up my act as well. (laughs) I love this movie, too. This is this is one of my favorite movies of his and probably the best I saw him do. This movie is incredible. How his character evolves, what it goes through. It's weird because he plays this so well. He's so charming and so charismatic that like. I'm interested in him. Yeah. And I kinda like him. And he's also like the worst person to ever exist.
2: Yeah, he's an asshole. It
0: it's so compelling. I don't know how many people could pull that off. So like it gives like a real good lens into his his ability and it's maxed out as an actor.
1: And we're at the end of the movie. Rigby, I'm glad you said that earlier about this being one of your favorite roles, because as I was preparing for this episode, I, I thought back to the DiCaprio exercise I put myself through. Favorite role, favorite movie. So by the end of the episode tonight, I want to hear your guys' favorite Kane role, favorite Kane movie.
4: Nice. All right. All right. Fair enough. Amen. I think I already gave away mine. Both. both yeah. So it's okay. Mine.
1: It's both favorite role and your favorite Kane movie.
4: No, this is my favorite role. My favorite. Okay. Uh, my favorite movie is we, I think we talked about it in the group chat. So, but I'll
2: reveal it later. Yeah. Wait, hold it. Favorite okay. yeah. baby. save Coming off of Alfie blows up huge and he has two back-to-back films as harry palmer in gambit and funeral in berlin in 66 and 67 so we see some more of that spiral and then he goes back to the military side in battle of britain he played squadron leader canfield in 1969 a movie that has really good reviews i didn't get a chance to watch but based on what i saw it seemed like a movie that people really liked and then the original Italian Job from 1969, he plays Charlie, kind of the crew runner of the team, and uh, just a really fun movie. Incredible movie.
4: Yeah, I just remember him wearing like like nice suits and driving gloves the whole movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he just looks like a thief, how you'd
0: want a thief to look. Uh, this movie, two takeaways. Michael Caine is, the, is amazing. Just charisma everywhere and practical effects. Yep. need more practical effects.
4: This movie's famous for, I think, coining the term cliffhanger. Oh. Because the movie, well, I don't want to give it away, but the movie literally ends on a cliffhanger and you be the judge is literal. So there you go. And the
2: goal keeps sliding farther and farther.
4: Such a great sequence.
2: To the end of the truck while they're hanging off. That's the part where I was like, holy shit. I mean, it was great up until that point already, but that the way they filmed that whole sequence with it teetering on the cliff,
0: they're shuffling around in the bus. It's long, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it draws out the, ch- the tension. It, it does.
2: Michael Caine's like, all right, get farther back. Get farther yeah. back. And he starts, like, army crawling to get close. And he's like, oh, nope. It's not going to work. We're all going to die.
1: <laughs> it's awesome, man. Speaking of the remake, who plays this role better, him or Mark Wahlberg? Probably Wahlberg, right? I mean,
3: <laughs> only one of these guys thinks they could have stopped 9-11. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
4: These are just they're just different movies, though.
2: Like they're just different
4: and different characters. Yeah. Different tone. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, speaking of a different tone, I think when we mentioned Michael Caine, I think Case was like, wasn't he on Rowan and Martin's Laughing?" Yeah, he sure was. 1969 to 70. Great show. Three episodes of it. Not a ton, but he did three episodes. And it's sketch comedy, right, Case?
1: Yes. And I believe this is the show Goldie Hawn got her start on
2: spicy look at that her one of her 40 credits
1: look for her let's, let's go so maybe that's where
2: he honed some of that hilarity craft that james talked about seeing his interviews because he's he's got lifetime of stories that he tells in his interviews the number one role on the list i saw for him was his role as jack carter and get carter another movie i unfortunately mm-hmm. didn't see it's also streaming free anywhere but i've heard he's incredible as like a gangster In this movie.
4: Yeah, he's a gangster who comes after the dudes who killed his brother. Mm -hmm. This was also a remake with Sylvester Stallone in the early 2000s, and it bombed. Uh, This one sucked, but yeah, the original's great.
1: I'm embarrassed to say when you guys were texting about this movie, I thought you were talking about the Stallone one. Mm -hmm. I was like, holy shit, that's not a good movie. I don't know why they're excited for that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This has got an 80 meta score. It's very, very highly rated. He kind of set. The groundwork for what a lot of other gangster characters would look like in film after that, mm-hmm. especially
1: getting into the 80s. I mean, at this point of his career, you know, he's got a hefty military background. So I know he's done a lot of physical training and military training. And then he plays this womanizer, you know, pretty boy and elfie. I mean, at this point, I mean, he's pretty much positioned himself to be able to play any role he wants, any way he wants. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's so charming and so charismatic. He can talk in anything. Yep, And then to use that as a gangster? That's scary shit. Mm-hmm. We talked about favorite
2: movies. One of my favorite movies that I watched with him is, was a first time watched for me is 1972 Sleuth. He plays Andrew. It is an acting showcase with him and Laurence Olivier, who apparently was high as fuck on drugs the whole mm-hmm. movie. Allegedly. <laughs> they both got Oscar nominations in this. They are so mm-hmm. spectacular together in this like game with this gamesmanship where halfway through the movie you think Mike he dies and then he comes back as a completely different character and has a completely different accent and it's a it's a top fiver for me for sure I love this movie
4: this is my second favorite Michael Caine film which is kind of cheating because it's very similar to my first which we'll get to yeah it was great Lawrence two acting giants Lawrence Olivier obviously is a legend yeah the presence to both be nominated for best actor is great
1: does that happen very
4: often? Not best actors. I'm trying to think of ones that it has happened.
2: How good are you at your craft if you're high in value in the entire movie and you still get a best actor nomination uh, in Laurence Olivier? Some of these actors, I mean, artists in general, people are like,
3: yeah, you're just going to have to put up with the fact that this person clearly has a drug issue because isn't the music great? Isn't this movie awesome? Like, and you're just like, ah, oh, fuck.
2: Yeah. Man. Michael Caine said, like, in rehearsals, he he'd forget all of his lines. Olivier, because he's high, high off his ass. But Laurence Olivier is playing the same character the whole movie. Kane gets to have some fun and play two very different characters. One as this, this young man who's trying to win Laurence Olivier's essentially approval to marry his daughter, and then he gets to play essentially a detective and then turn the tide on Olivier and screw him over by the end of the movie. Big fan.
4: Craig, I'm looking into this. The one that comes to mind, I think, is Midnight Cowboy with Dustin Hoffman and John Voight, but there's got to be more.
1: Mutiny and the Bounty in 1935 version also. It had three best actor nominees. Got to be something recent, right? Where multiple actors got nominated. They usually
0: split them up into supporting.
4: Yep. The latest for best actor is 1984, Amadeus. Okay. And the latest for actress. Is Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon in Thelma and Thelma Louise. So it's been 30 years. That's that's a good good find, Craig.
2: A couple years later, again, there's a lot more in this time, but we're hitting some of the major ones. But another biggie there in the mid '70s. Uh, he's alongside Sean Connery as Peachy and the Man Who Would Be King, a really fun film about two guys who weasel their way into uh, a foreign land and end up being worshipped by basically what is like an uncontacted tribe. Ultimately, nobody's been there since Alexander the Great, and all of a sudden they're getting worshiped by all locals. Sounds like a prequel to Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. (laughs) In some ways. (laughs) In some ways. It's a fun movie. And again, Michael Caine gets to do a lot with this role, he gets to do quite a bit.
0: These last three movies. Are. There's like a small handful of movies that I will watch probably in the coming weeks that I couldn't get to. Mm-hmm. These three are all in it. You absolutely should. I really wanted to find time. I enjoyed this so much that I'm just going to make more. I'm just going to watch them at some point in time in the near future.
1: We went through the 60s, and I brought up earlier the movie Hurry Sundown. Mm-hmm. It blows my mind how seldomly he does anything but... Michael Caine accent. Very rarely. Hey, he's such a great actor. They're just like, no, dude, just whatever you want to just do it. <laughs> so when he's asked about it, he says, you know, he's
3: very proud of his accent and, you know, lets, he's comfortable using it because it gets to show you know, other boys and girls from that area that they can make it, which is an inspiring way to phrase, like, maybe I just can't do other accents, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like
2: this is all I bring to the table, you know? Yeah. The ones we've talked about, the only one that I really know where he did a little bit different was sleuth when he played the, the, the inspector, the second half of the movie. Okay. But yeah, just crushing that Cockney accent all the way through. Yeah. And I mean, again, there's will be conspiracy. There's all sorts of shit in here that he he did that we're not even really going to mention. Um, back to the military side in 1977's a bridge too far movie. Craig mentioned earlier, he played Lieutenant Colonel J.O.E. Vandeleur, another movie with really, really good ratings. I believe it's an, like an Air Force film. I think, he, I think he's in the Air Force in this one. So he's covering all the branches here early on. Got Army, yeah. we've got Navy, we've got Air Force. 1978. So we went through like a bunch of really good movies. And again, there are some we didn't mention that aren't that great. But let me tell you, 1978's The Swarm. That was the last Michael Caine film I watched. And it is about a bunch of Killer African Bees. He yells very indiscriminately in this film all the time. It's a bad movie. The ratings are terrible, uh, rightfully so. And it's like borderline racist because they don't they don't call them the African Bees. They just call them the Africans the whole time. And it's kind of fucked up. Get
3: the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh,
2: Michael Kane plays a, a scientist who the president is essentially entrusted to try to deal with this killer African bee invasion that's headed to Houston, Texas. And the military want to keep coming in and obviously, like, just fight fight it with fire. They want to blow shit up. They want to drop pesticides sure. yeah. over the community. They want to kill everything in their wake. And the whole time, Michael Caine's just, like, yelling at this guy. Like,
3: oh, we're not going to do that. We're not going to kill everybody.
2: It's pretty good, Kyle. But then the, the military guy will just be like, well, the Africans are coming to Houston. And it's, like, over and over and over again. You're like, wow. That's why this film is rated so goddamn poorly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for other reasons, too. It's
0: in his defense, the Africans did go to Houston.
2: <laughs> He's not wrong. It's just you, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, it's a 919 split on Rotten Tomatoes Swarm. But I was like, I got to watch Spot a Bunch of Killer Bees. And as Michael Kane, I got to watch this shit. All right. Uh, California Suite, 1978, a movie we covered with on the Maggie Smith episode, a movie she was nominated for an Oscar for. He plays her husband in this movie. It's a really good film. They're a fun duo to see on screen together. I didn't rewatch really it for this, but good movie. You loved
1: this movie, didn't you? I really like California Sweet. It's a fun movie. I remember watching part of this on your recommendation after the Maggie Smith episode. Mm-hmm.
2: They're one of the segments in there because they have kind of follow different couples in the film uh, and she's a real pain in the ass. She's very high maintenance in the movie and he's just, like, they're just going back and forth the whole time. So they're going, he's going to jaw-to-jaw with, again, an acting legend and Maggie Smith. I'm very interested to see how their scores compare and when it's all said and done today. Um, but a movie that uh, Rigby talked about, he asked if we had watched, and that was 1980, Dressed to Kill, he plays Dr. Elliot.
4: Yeah, if you've ever seen Psycho, this is a knockoff of Psycho. It's De Palma, mm-hmm. good little thriller, but okay, people sort of know what the twist is before they've seen it at this point. Probably not too... I didn't. Probably not too exciting if you haven't seen it.
2: You didn't? No, I didn't. No, no. I never heard of Dress to Kill. Oh, wow. I didn't. So I wasn't prepared for Michael Caine being the
1: trans killer by the end of the movie.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, here's your hint. Michael Caine is Dressed to Kill, but he's Dressed to do something else. So there you go.
1: (laughs) From a box office standpoint, this is his fifth best return on investment. Mm -hmm. $6.5 million budget. $32 Thirty-two million dollar world gross, median, and it's got high ratings, eighty-two,
0: seventy-four across the board. Yeah. yeah, it does. I have the Criterion Collection Blu-ray of this. <laughs> nice, you do. I do. I was surprised the Criterion picked it up. However, spoiler for a couple minutes from now. Not the most surprising Criterion watch of my afternoon.
2: Very different from some of the stuff we've seen him do up to this point, right? He's kind of...
0: Yeah, very different.
2: This charismatic playboy. He's played the military guy. He's played kind of the -hmm. the straight act in like a comedy type of set. And then he comes out and plays this in like a thriller setting. So different, unique. It's a fun movie. It is fun. It is. Also, his first Razzie nom, his first of three Razzie noms here. Here in the 80s, he jumps in the 80s and then he gets on the Razzie side, which is interesting. Considering the ratings are so high and the fact he he was Rousey nominated for this is interesting to me.
1: I think it's an easy context. He's a huge star and they're paying him a shitload of money. And he doesn't give a shit. And he's not doing what he normally
2: does. Yeah, cash in, man. Same year, he gets his second Razzie nom. 1980 was just a Razzie-nominated year for The Island, a movie Craig mentioned earlier. played Blair. Never seen it, but I've seen stills for it, and I, from that I can understand. He's the first person to be nominated for an acting Razzie Award
3: uh, for more than one title in the same year. Oh, interesting. Mm.
2: <laughs>
3: Fun facts, baby. Yeah, and it happened to be... This is the first year the Razzies existed, and they're like, "Yo,
0: fuck Michael Caine!"
2: (laughs) (laughs) Damn, they didn't like Cockney accents. (laughs) Came out gunning.
0: What you're saying is the Razzies have been bad from the beginning. Yeah, they don't like J Lo
4: or Michael Caine. Is what you're saying?
3: Pretty much every time I bring them up, I'm like, I don't agree with them. But here they are. It seems like they were ahead of their time and like doing clickbait before (laughs) clickbait was a thing. Like, what if we just get like the most famous person possible and say they suck? Yeah,
2: 1981. He's in Oliver Stone's The Hand. It's kind of like The Swarm, I guess. I've never seen it. Plays Jonathan. Rigby, have you seen this? You're, you're an Oliver Stone guy,
1: aren't you? I am, but I haven't. Got middle reviews it's in the 50s. 2928, critic and fan. One of the things that I appreciate so far and continue to with Michael Caine's career, he does a lot of interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they're good movies, most of them are pretty interesting. I mean, The Swarm still sounds like an interesting movie.
2: Still interesting.
1: Still interesting to watch. It's just delivered poorly. We haven't
4: even gotten to Jaws 4 yet, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love that point, Craig, because that's part of the reason why I like prepping for this, is because every movie was different. Yeah. And every movie generally had a pretty interesting plot. Yeah,
4: that's a great point.
2: Even if I didn't love the movie, it was, other than your review, everything else was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm not, it doesn't sound like I'm alone there. Well, speaking of interesting plots, 1982's Death Trap. He plays Sydney alongside Christopher Reeve and just a fun, it's really a play on screen. Ultimately, it's based on a play, my understanding. Killing it
1: again. It's a play based on a play. Based on a play.
4: Yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite Michael Caine movie, Craig.
1: Oh, that, yeah. Some of the plot
4: lines are very similar to Sleuth. Okay. And just a lot of twists and turns. Uh, there's so many, so many twists in this movie.
2: Yeah, I almost don't want to spoil them for people if they haven't seen it.
4: No, no, no. Yeah, I won't. I won't up until the very end. Christopher Reeve, who obviously we know from as from Superman. Yeah, uh, he's great in this
1: as well. Phenomenal. Dude. Since we're talking about Christopher Reeve, it reminded me of one of those instances where a role improperly defines a character because Christopher Reeve was a phenomenal actor. Way before Superman, and yeah. watching this, it just was like, "Holy shit!" Mm-hmm. I wish more people knew him for the role he's playing in Death Trap than they do Superman.
4: I think this is a great Michael kane role because he, like, he plays a guy who was once successful in his day, who is now like down on his luck and now mm-hmm. neurotic and just begging for a hit, like so well.
2: He's plotting the whole film. He's a good plotter.
4: Yep, you're like this guy's getting up to something. Like he's definitely going to do something. Yep. And he just he plays it he just plays a good like drunk
1: like crazy guy too. So yeah,
4: I think this is the perfect Michael Caine role.
1: I'd never seen a Diane Cannon role before. Oh.
4: She's not she's not very good
1: in this, but she's not good, but she is stunningly attractive. Oh yeah. She is gorgeous.
4: I wanna say she was nominated for a Razzie in this as well because she literally just like screams the whole time. Yeah. She's in a state of shock the entire movie.
1: She was nominated for a Razzie Good Award.
2: Yeah. Worst supporting Actors.
1: Didn't you guys kind of feel like they were also intentionally acting like they were mm-hmm. like stage actors? They play for a response from the audience. I felt like she was doing that the whole time with her over dramatic screaming and yeah, throwing herself all over the place. And this is based off a of play.
2: I know,
4: 100%. This was a play at first. So, yeah, that's interesting.
2: For people who haven't seen it and are listening, uh, it's. His character is down on his luck because he hasn't been doing well as a playwright. And he invites Christopher Reeve over, who has a play that he wants to get a hold of called Death Trap. And he essentially sets a death trap for the young man. And we won't tell you much more beyond that. Mm -hmm. All right. So Rigby mentioned that Michael Caine plays a good drunk, which is a great transition to his Oscar nominated role in 1983's Educating Rita. He plays Dr. Bryant, also won the BAFTA and Golden Globe for Best Actor. So this is one of his early actual wins. He plays a college professor who is takes a young 26-year-old kind of local woman under his wings who's she's not very refined, not really college, a typical college student. And he is a falling apart, drunken buffoon as a college professor. And it's, again, it's not the best movie in the world, but it's riveting to watch him play somebody different and watch him, like, drunkenly... Do a lecture for a bunch of college students that are just laughing at him as he falls over tables. Wait, are you talking about me? Sorry, my bad. <laughs> I didn't mean to <laughs> subtweet you like that. <laughs> but that's going to lead us into 1985's largest audience gap, which is the movie Water. He plays Governor Thwaites, and then Aubrey has this review.
0: Speaking of a movie that you get to see him play something different, how about the governor of a fake Bohemian island? Because <laughs> no? that's what this movie is.
2: It looked like it was in an island type of setting.
0: It's about a British diplomat in a West Indian Island uh, finds his idyllic existence thrown into chaos. When a large American drilling company finds a huge source of natural mineral water there, which they thought was oil. And then it was water. Which that bit was funny. Essentially. This is just a comedy. It's a parody of like making fun of British imperialism. They're making fun of, they're going out after America hard. Mm. And it's, It's more of like a goofy, kind of like 80s screwball style comedy, which doesn't work for me. That's like, I I can do some of that stuff like in, in small doses, but in large doses, like this movie jumps right out the gate with it. There's like revolutionaries from this. It's not a real place, but they're revolutionaries that are fighting for their freedom that are singing. And that's their bit is that they're singing revolutionaries. A radio station with Jimmy Walker?
1: I don't mind. Huh?
0: <laughs> with fake dreads? Oh, come on. <laughs> was it's, it like the hat that has the dreads on it?
1: Is that huh? what it was?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, this was on the Criterion channel. So this is how I watched this. It was on the Criterion channel, a place that I highly regard. have seen great things on. And I was like, okay, so we're about to see something. And within ten minutes, I was like, "This ain't it. Not for me." If, if you like like parodies that are goofy, like really all, like over the top goofy, then this will work. Michael Caine is doing a comedy thing, but it's not. It's kind of his like more like regal style of comedy. It's not. He's not all that goofy. The goofiness is happening around him in pretty much every direction. I'm not big on not finishing movies. Ooh. So instead of like just turning it off, I'll just stop paying attention. That's kind of what happened here. Went about 40 minutes and I was just like, it's just not for me. It doesn't really work. It looks really bad. It looks like something you'd watch on YouTube.
2: How is this on the Criterion channel with a zero to 68 split? 0% from critics.
0: I have no idea. You'd be surprised.
4: There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff on there that's just like has no business on there. It's like ironically. So the Criterion
0: on there. Channel is very different from the Criterion Collection in terms of how they're curating things. Mm-hmm. And so what I've learned with the Criterion Channel, while I love the Criterion Channel, it's like HBO Max is my favorite stream of service just in general, but Criterion is my is like the one I hold the closest to me because I've discovered a lot of really great things on there. Yeah. And what they do is they just release stuff in like Here's like 20 movies from this person, okay. yeah, or from this time period, or about this thing,
4: and it'll just be for like one month, mm-hmm. one
0: month period too. So it's probably in there in the mix of some sort of playlist they've got going on because it's yeah it has no business really being on there. I, f- I found this movie to be quite bad.
2: Well, I'm looking at the cast. I I see Billy Connolly. I see Fred Gwynn who I know best from Pet Cemetery? (laughs) Just kidding. From my cousin Vinny.
4: Better watch out for that road.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But then the band in there, the singing Rebels, is Ringo Starr, Eric Clapton, and George Harrison. That's kind of cool.
0: Because there's like a whole music video sequence at the end. They sing their revolutionary song that allows them to get their freedom. Spoiler for water. You're welcome.
2: All right, so where do you sit on the gap? The 68 to zero gap?
0: Hard for me to give a movie zero, especially because I'm going to talk about Jaws of Revenge soon i'm closer to zero though let's say that and honestly i would recommend it to someone who likes really goofy over the top stuff who's like kind of here for the bit okay because it does have sharp parody elements to it but it's not it's not it doesn't seem really interested in like the intellectual side of what they're parodying got it really just there for like i'm gonna be really on the nose
1: Aubrey, did it get into his diplomatic policy and his <laughs> campaign strategy very much? This fucking guy. Remove him from the podcast. It did not.
0: <laughs> I don't think
3: so. <laughs> I'm still blown away that the singing rebels band is like <laughs> potentially some of the greatest rock and roll musicians of all time.
2: <laughs> Half of the Beatles plus Eric Clapton.
3: Yeah, it's pretty impressive.
2: 86 to 87 a couple before we get to that stinker that we just mentioned there a couple movies that are not stinkers um mona lisa he plays mortwell 1986 a film that again a new watch for me loved it michael kane plays an asshole that's what i put in the show notes on this one are <laughs> really good he's he's the baddie in this film who he's not a pimp but he's like working with the pimp blah blah blah
4: i love bob hoskins in this he is fantastic mm-hmm. I actually think I saw this on the Criterion channel now that I think about it um, a, couple, a couple of years ago. So there you go. So definitely, definitely recommend Mona Lisa.
2: Not a Mona Lisa smile, but Mona Lisa. Very different films. Correct. Ultimately. And then his uh, his one Woody Allen film on the filmography. He's in Hannah and Her Sisters. Uh, plays Elliot, a role that got him his first Oscar win alongside John Turturro, who plays a writer in this movie. Yeah, I love Michael
4: Caine in this He's in love with uh, his sister-in-law, but doesn't really know how to – doesn't really know what to do about it. It's a great moral conundrum. Um, and, yeah, he's – contrast that with Woody Allen, who, like you said, is sort of manic and crazy in this movie. Docker. Yeah, Michael Caine's, like, more the kind of the sad, pathetic guy that you don't really mm-hmm. – you don't really know what he's going to do. And, yeah, I, he's great in this.
1: Well-deserved Oscar. This is his best-performing movie compared to budget. and a $40 million box office.
3: Of the six performers who have won Oscars for their uh, performances in Woody Allen films, he's the only man. Oh, interesting.
1: Oh, really?
2: Interesting. We love a good, spicy, lowest critic score review. And, I mean, when we talked about Michael Caine, we were wondering which Jaws film he was in. We weren't quite sure. At first glance and first memory, but we determined it's Jaws the Revenge. He also is Razzie nominated for this film in a in a movie that he calls his Beach House film and Rigby's gonna
3: talk about it. He also couldn't accept his Oscar because he was busy filming this
2: movie. <laughs> <laughs> what a kick in the balls.
4: Jaws for the revenge is almost like if Jaws mixed with like f- an 80s slasher like Friday the thirteenth. It's so campy and cheesy. One of the grown Roy Scheider sons from the first movie, who is now a cop uh, in Amity, he is killed by the shark, who apparently killed many people what 12 years before in the original 75 Jaws, and is now coming after his son, who he exactly knows who he is, and he's coming after him. So two things about this movie are weird. In our debate about which Jaws Michael Caine was in, I thought he was in three, but three is about... Uh, Jaws in a water park in in Florida, I think, not related to the two previous Jaws at all. So this, so four basically skips three and is a direct sequel to two. So just forget that you saw three when you saw Jaws Jaws four. Wish I
0: could. If you've seen Jaws three D, you. If, if you've, you've seen, seen Jaws three D, <laughs>
4: <laughs> which I would probably recommend over this, honestly. No, you wouldn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stars in the
4: The crazy campy thing about this is that not only is it the same shark chasing this this family with awful luck who seemingly can't get rid of this damn thing, but now the shark has made his way down to the Bahamas of all places, which the Bahamas is famously known for its warm water and not attracting sharks, unlike a lot of places in in New England and and off the East Coast. So I rented it on Amazon and I couldn't turn it off because I didn't want to... Didn't want to have a did-not-finish on my review, but I made it through about 50 minutes before I kind of stopped paying attention. Michael Caine is whatever. Anybody could have played this role?
2: No one, no one's the pilot that Michael Caine is in this film. I can't believe you would disrespect him like that publicly. Yeah. It's unbelievable.
4: Michael Caine plays this island pilot who... Kind of starts falling in love with uh, Lorraine Gary's character, who is a widow. Roy Scheider's character has a heart attack, which they don't really show or allude to. He's just dead when the movie starts, so that was kind of a, a weird one. He's supposed to be the guy who's, like, consoling her, but there's, like, no chemistry or charm whatsoever between the two. It, literally anybody could have played him. I could have played this role, and it would have had the same effect. This this is a, definitely a, a black eye on Michael Caine's resume, unfortunately. And the reviews kind of spell it out. I think it's like, what'd you say, 5%?
2: 0%, baby. 0, wow. Yeah. Even worse. 0.15 for this. Yeah, audience
4: with a 15. Yeah, it sucks. It's terrible. It's not as bad as Speed 2. No. So it it doesn't take the honor of worst sequel that we've seen on this podcast, but it's close.
2: It's close. took me three tries to watch this movie. I kept falling asleep every time I tried to watch
0: it. It sucks, doesn't it? It's terrible. It's surprisingly (laughs) boring for a shark movie right
4: it's like a weird it's got like a weird like 80s slasher vibe to it but like it's not scary
2: at all dude this shark can smell his family members and tracks them down across the yeah
4: <laughs> literally in a matter of days amity massachusetts which is basically martha's vineyard all the way down to the bahamas like in a matter of
1: days that's impressive it's really fast <laughs> yeah. sharks are known to be good swimmers Yeah, super fast. on a mission. That's a shark that perseveres, baby. You ever heard of cocaine
3: bear? (laughs) From the most recent audience review, just says, fuck this shit with
1: like 30 exclamation points. (laughs) Rigby, I didn't know you were getting published.
4: Yeah, I try to keep that one anonymous.
1: (laughs) What's what's the username?
2: Steven C. Denman? (laughs)
3: Denman
1: Jobin? (laughs) Iowa Hawkeyes fans. Yeah. (laughs) i find this movie interesting differently than you guys do this is his first franchise movie yeah
2: that's true
1: (laughs) late to the game
2: our final review is largest critic app it's the whistleblower he plays frank 1987. case has it and i hope much like my viewing experience it was a dnf so i'm kind of hoping case does not finish his review either, and it'll be really ironic.
1: If you just drop off at some
2: point, I'll completely understand and respect it.
1: I have a high level of resiliency when I'm assigned a task. I get it done. All that being said, this movie blows. The whistleblower, that is. It is a 1986 British spy thriller based on a 1984 novel by the same name. The fact that this movie came out in 86, correct? 87, technically. 87, 86. So within a two to three year period that this book is released, this movie comes out that fast. It really was a foreshadow of how I was going to view this movie. Here's a plot. Michael Kane plays Frank, who's a retired naval officer. His son is a writer or a linguist for some secret British intelligence station, which intercepts and translates conversations, particularly those from Mother Russia. Kane's son gets in too deep, is one in a long line of suspicious quote-unquote, accidents. This time, however, those responsible mess with the wrong guy because Michael Caine proceeds to unravel a web of lies, backstabbing, and closed-door deals to ultimately determine who was responsible for his son's death. And I hate to tell you guys this, but it was the bloody Americans. The Yanks were the ones that were responsible for his son's death. Good. It's a British Cold War movie. I did actually find it interesting. To see the Cold War movie, not from a superpower perspective, but from an ally perspective. But the story, the direction, and the tempo of this movie made it nearly impossible to finish. So I guess you could say I'm kind of a hero for finishing it. Or maybe a superhero. I don't know. That's enough for me to decide. Anyways, this movie is a 90-45 split. I mean, I get where the critics may be coming from on this, because I would assume... Most of the critic reviews were British journalists, British reviewers, and this movie portrays and and brings in the news industry very prominently in its storyline. I could see where somebody would be sympathetic with this movie. Also, I would imagine if somebody in England grew up not knowing anything about the Watergate conspiracy, they probably wouldn't find All the President's Men super interesting. So I didn't have a great perspective to enjoy this movie. However, I thought it sucked, and it bored me nearly to death. I am still here, so I survived, but it's just not a very good movie, and I think you could easily surmise that I'm on the audience side of this gap. Shocker. Yep. I appreciate you acknowledging that
3: you might not have the historical reference for it for a movie that like you wanted to dunk on because that's like a very mature take, and I don't know if I would have had the same one. Where it's like, yeah, you know, if you don't have the historical significance, like I don't, it, you know, didn't impact me, but fuck
1: this movie. (laughs) (laughs) It felt like a poorly made for TV movie. It's not my favorite movie, so this is not one of my two yet.
2: (laughs) So that was our last review. And so we've got essentially a bunch of stuff between 1988, the year that a couple of us were born, to now. So we're hitting all the big stuff. There's a lot in here, but we're going to hit some of the big ones. First and foremost, my favorite film that isn't called The Dark Knight, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. This was my first watch of the Michael Caine research, and I fucking love Dirty Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. The two of them together, him and Steve Martin, they're so opposite of one another. And Martin's zany character versus his, like, stuck-up womanizer, but... Doing it in a bougie way is such a great match, and it's so much fun of a movie I love. I completely agree. I think their chemistry works. I think
3: the fact that they don't work well together makes the chemistry work so well together, where like, Michael Caine is disgusted by Steve Martin's attempts and like immediately smells his bullshit, and it's like, this guy's going to fuck my money up. He's so bad at this. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) I I thought it was very funny,
4: and I think it still holds up. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. It it is a hilarious movie. I'm with you, Kyle.
2: And I love the way it ends with them getting screwed over, getting both getting conned and then teaming up with their who conned them. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Mm -hmm.
1: screw it. She's got a plan. Let's go. It's just a great movie.
0: I agree. Love this movie. First time watching it.
1: Same. And I love this movie. I think this movie is important because this kicks the door open. To be in comedies or actions or whoever the biggest star is, because Steve Martin in 1988 was mm-hmm. as big of a comedy star as you could have. And so for those two to play off each other so well, after that it just he he could pretty much do anything he wanted. Rightfully so, mm-hmm. Mr. Destiny,
2: a, a Rigby favorite, plays Mike the bartender alongside our boy Jim Belushi. This also
4: has Rene Russo in it too. So this is, I think, the third oh, the hey. third uh, Mr. Destiny mention. Good movie. Go check it out say that every time we mention it, but
2: <laughs> none of you have probably watched it yet, but I'm saying it again. He wrote the first of three memoirs in 1992. His first one was called What's It All About? One of his memoirs
3: is, is a book. Uh, it's named, a lot of people don't know this, and it's a phrase that he uses often that he didn't originate, but just became like a pop culture thing that people thought he did originate. And it was someone mocking him, doing an impression of him. It's like, oh, a lot of people don't know this. And it became so popular in England that he's like, fuck it, I'll just name my book that. Embrace the Suck. I love that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And then another big movie in 92 that I think a lot of people recognize him from. He played Scrooge in The Muppet Christmas Carol. He's a great Scrooge. I like how it's like
3: very much a Muppet movie for everyone except him. He is fully committed to Scrooge. And I like that, especially with you know, Charles
2: Dickens stories. Yep. The delightful film. He doesn't do much between 92 and 99, though. There's like five roles in there. The only one that I think I almost put on here was Blood and Wine, because we talked about it before. Some I'm gonna, um, we've discussed has been in that. But otherwise, James, do you know why he didn't do much between 92 and 99? There was a while there where he
3: was like, he decided that he was going to do two movies a year as just like a schedule thing. And then you have a couple of pretty horrific bombs
2: in the late 80s, and he didn't get that many roles. Yeah, because I'm looking at that On Deadly Ground was in 94, the one that Case mentioned with Steven Seagal. And then he did get an Emmy. I don't know if he won it or if he was nominated for Mandela and DeClerc in 97. He played F.W. DeClerc. So he did a couple things, but there's really not much between 92 and 97. But then, uh, this upcoming movie and his career explodes again. Yeah, he comes back with a vengeance and the Cider House Rules as Dr. Larch and wins another Oscar. I love the Cider House Rules. It'll get you emotional, man. It's a great movie. It's a sad one. Absolutely. I always love the score in that film.
4: And well-deserved Oscar in this one. It's good performance.
2: Yeah. Yep, as a character who really, really doesn't want Toby Maguire's character to go work in apple cider and... And lob, being a lobster man. With J.K. Simmons who doesn't say a fucking word in this but just plays her dad as the lobster man. forgot he was in this. you guys notice that?
4: Yeah, I forgot he was in this.
2: Yeah, he's the dad. He doesn't have a line of dialogue in this movie. It's got It's chalked with great actors. You know, a young Paul Rudd who's just handsome. He's just a handsome fella in this movie. Charlie's is uh, uh, unbelievably gorgeous. Delroy. Delroy Lindo is a man. But the millennium hits 2000. He gets knighted by the queen. I'm honestly shocked it took him this long to get knighted by the queen. Yeah, I'll be completely honest.
4: She had to get over 13 years of jaws after or after jaws <laughs> for the revenge. <laughs>
2: so
1: that's a fair point. Either that, or she was nervous about him run for office of some sort from his uh, water Cut. appearance. And honestly, he'd said so much shit about the British government. Like he yeah. specifically
3: moved away from England, and as he left, he was like. I don't like any of the decisions they're making politically. So maybe he had, they had to. there's like a little holding period and be like, hey, with this prime minister, if I knighted him, that might be like a fuck you to the prime minister. So I got to wait.
2: Yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense that he wins the Oscar in 90. 90- like, shit, we can't ignore him any longer. I know. Fuck it. All right, let's knight him. Yeah. We call him Sir Michael Caine the rest of the way? I think we have to now, right? I always have, actually. Okay, I'll do it. Same year though, um, he's in that movie that big money maker, right? Miss Congeniality. Plays Vic. Yep, dude, he's hilarious in this movie. This movie's mm. awesome. Yeah, this movie's very funny.
4: I can't remember what his title is, but he yeah, he's like a he's like a pageant whisperer basically, um, and he's just an asshole to uh, Sandra Bullock. He's so funny.
2: <laughs> My favorite line of his is when he says, "Never even uh, been around young girls." <laughs> If you haven't seen Drop Dead Gorgeous, go watch that. But also go watch Miss Congeniality. <laughs> I knew I'd get rigged on that. Never I uh, been around
4: any girls. Car accidents.
2: <laughs> Insurance. Everybody's favorite Sir Michael Caine role, 2002. Plays Nigel. Awesome Powers Faja. And Goldmember. Truly one of the most
3: perfect punchlines. Like, just the, the building of a joke and the punchline is his line in this movie with, there's only two types of people in this world I hate those who are tolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. And that is just a perfect <laughs> fucking joke. <laughs> Start to finish.
2: Final words <laughs> for this episode wrote themselves. <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. unbelievably delivered. He's the perfect cast. If you're going to hire Austin powers, Faja. Yeah.
1: Which Austin powers is this gold member? It's the third one. Okay. With the Beyonce version. Spy who
4: shagged me is second. That's right. My favorite Michael Caine line is, and this is a, uh, I took a Viagra, got stuck in my neck.
2: I've had a stiff neck for hours. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part about this film is that it brought us the song, Daddy Wasn't There, because of all the trauma of, of Nigel not being there for him his first time. Daddy wasn't there. I will say, though,
3: of all of the three Austin Powers, this is probably the one that holds up the least. I think the first one, when I rewatched it, uh, I forget why I rewatched it. Maybe I just rewatched it to, to out of fear that it they don't hold up anymore. The first one, by and large, is still like top to bottom hilarious. I agree. And and uh, this one is it's a chore to get through for
2: me. And I forget to mention Seth Green is in this. Yeah, of course. Yep. That we have to. Oh, that's why. That's why we, I watched. I rewatched it for uh, when we did Seth Green. Scotty Doon. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Scotty Doon. Secondhand Lions 2003 played
1: Garth, a movie I think Case really likes. I love that movie. In fact, it's your favorite. This is going to be my favorite Michael Caine role. Oh, this movie just hit me in the sweet spot, and I can never not watch it if it's on. I get like five minutes into it, I know every word, and I just love him and Duvall together and, and the whole story and the fantastic tale. It's just a really fun movie, and I think the role that I, I I really enjoy him in and I don't know why I love this movie so much but it is definitely one of my favorites when I haven't
0: seen I can see it if you if this movie catches you at the right time uh, it could it could stick with you in that way
1: um
2: the quiet american he gets another oscar nom for his role as thomas in 2003 I don't remember much from it I know I rated it high on IMDb years ago when I saw it I, I don't remember it <laughs> <laughs> Be <laughs> it must have been that good then i was looking i was like have i seen this and i rated like an eight out of ten i was like oh shit I, I must have enjoyed it i don't remember
1: much from it maybe you were drunk rating one night after the bars because of uh this nomination
3: he's one of uh nominated for an oscar at least once for five consecutive decades i don't know how many actors can say that because that wasn't available when i googled but I was impressed.
4: I, I think he might be the only one. From what I, I I remember seeing that and being like, "Wow, that is an impressive stat." That's right. Okay, yeah, you're right, Kyle. Three actors and one actress. See,
2: here we go. He's in the actors with Lena Headey in 2003, and then he enters the Batman verse as Alfred in 2005's Batman Begins. I think he's damn good at it too.
3: Yeah, I think we could knock all the Batmans out here. I think he's mm-hmm. great as
0: Alfred. He's so good. Yes. He's so good. I rewatched these because I just needed any, any excuse to rewatch these. Mm-hmm. Like focusing on him, he's he's great because he just provides balance, but he's ultimately the emotional like core of all of these movies. Yeah. What he does in The Dark Knight Rises, like that movie's a bit of a mess, even though I love it. Same. He does a lot to make that movie work. Mm-hmm. He just ends up being the, the emotional through line. The thing that like emotionally connects you to everything that's going on, which you need a great actor to do that in movies like this.
2: That line in the first one where you haven't given up on me, Alfred.
0: No, <laughs> it gets you every time, man. When he's over the graves and he's just like, "I failed you." That's rough. Oh, man. sobbing.
2: Failed, yeah, I failed you.
3: Ugh. I know I'm in the minority in that. I I like Dark Knight Rises the best of the three. And I think the vast majority of people like the Dark Knight is number one. Um, But I think he's a major reason why. And it is because of what you've mentioned is I I fell hook, line and sinker for the emotion, kind of for the bait and switch of the ending. uh, Because every line he delivers is essentially being like, I'm trying to stop Bruce Wayne from killing himself. And it looks like he's going to do it the whole time.
2: Mm -hmm. But this is his start of his Nolan run. That's. I think that's the biggest key here, is that he does a lot of films with Christopher Nolan, and this is the first one.
0: Most all of them, isn't
2: it? I. I mean, down to Dunkirk, where he just plays a voice. I mean, I think even like eight of them.
3: And if Nolan only done eight, then I think he's knocked them all out. <laughs> Three
2: Batman, yeah, I mean, at- Prestige, Inception, Tenet, Dunkirk, Definitely. every single he one. plays a
3: very similar role. It's like a mentor, a, yep. you know, like a guiding mm-hmm. force and voice. And he's great at it. Prestige, that's 100% what he's in, in that film.
2: Love Prestige. He's the one trying to bring him back. That's the one Nolan film I, get, I guess I
0: rewatched recently. I watched The Prestige the other. It's great. I've seen The Prestige probably like ten times. I love yeah. it so yep. much.
2: Shout out to Rebecca Hall; she's in that one.
0: Shout out to Rebecca Hall for real. Oh, that's right. She's phenomenal in that film. She kills.
1: This is my favorite Michael Caine film: The Prestige. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I'm with
0: that. I'm with that. Can't argue with that. I like that. Dark Knight for me, but Prestige is pretty close. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I gotta choose a Dark Knight.
2: It's a, it's almost like too easy. You know what I mean? Like. That's why I was like, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is really my favorite film. That movie came out 16 years ago, and every time I watch it, I see something new that I hadn't picked up on before. There's so many layers to that film.
3: To go off what Kyle said, Rebecca Hall, when I rewatched it, and you can see how emotionally drained she is by being like, I know that today you don't love me, Mm -hmm. and you don't understand what that means at the moment. You just think... She's kind of losing it because he's obsessed with his rival. And then you rewatch it and you're like, oh, I know exactly what it means. Wow, this is like a brilliant movie. You're like, I'm fucking dumb. I should have figured this out the first time. Like, what am yes. I doing? They spell it out right in front.
2: Yeah, Ellen never talks. Oh, uh, Scarlett Johansson says we found a wig and yep. glasses in his back. I'm like, God damn it, I'm fucking idiot. But that's how good Christopher Nolan is. To get you focused on something else. Inception and The Prestige are pretty damn
0: close to me.
2: But yeah. I would put Prestige slightly higher than Inception, but I know James is an Inception fan.
0: Could be argued off this point.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love Inception. Yeah, we 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 did spend all day doing that, so we probably shouldn't. Yeah, it's amazing. Let's let's take out of the Nolan verse for a second and go back to some other things he does that are interesting. So he's in Bewitched in 2005, plays Nigel alongside Nicole Kidman in that group. So takes the TV show, puts it on screen. Children of Men, 2006. Looking like a hippie with his long ass hair in there.
0: So, doing something a little bit different. What a performance. In one of the best movies I've just ever seen. Great film. Yeah, it's awesome. Great film. Full stop. This is just one of the best movies I've ever seen. It was the first
3: time I think I ever saw a um, continuous shot, like the ending scene, and it like, my brain exploded.
2: To think this guy had so many bangers in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And then we're talking about stuff in the 2000s and 2010 yep. that are like some of our favorite movies. It's just <laughs> incredible to think of its longevity. And again, skipping a lot of fucking stinkers along the way, too. Like there's a lot of bad movies we're not even mentioning built into them. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You mean like Blood and Wine with Jack Nicholson? Yes. yes. <laughs> exactly. We
2: already talked about that in the JLo episode. So 2009. Harry Brown, he plays Harry, uh, this, I have watched this movie yesterday, uh, a former Marine who uh, his buddy gets killed by these punk kids, and he decides to take things into his own hands and goes on a, basically a Liam Neeson revenge plot, and it's a it's a decent movie, but he, again, it's Michael Caine, he just goes apeshit on these kids, and they deserve every bit of it. Yeah. <laughs>
4: I've got a very particular set of
2: skills.
4: (laughs) That was a terrible Cockney accent, but...
2: How old is his dude? And he's an action star. (laughs) In 2009, he's like 80, 78. It's impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. And granted, his character is like falling apart by the end of the movie because he's old as shit, even in the role. And he literally like passes out from like heart failure after trying to run one of these kids down. So it's very realistic, which at this point is one of the most popular mentioned films outside of Marvel projects in Munson's 80 episodes. Cause we've got JGL, Elliot page, Leo, Ken Watanabe, and now Michael Caine. We're we're Tom Hardy. has got to be coming soon. Cause we're hitting this whole fucking cast. Yeah.
3: As you've heard four or five times at this point, Big fan <laughs> of this movie. Yeah,
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll listen to those episodes for our Inception review. How about that? Yeah,
0: Inception is
2: great. Where we cover uh, actors who have meteor roles in that movie. Right? Yeah, Kane. Which... Yeah, Kane's in it for like five minutes. But 2011 is like a big shift, slight shift for him. He goes into the voice acting world. He does Romeo and Juliet and Cars two, two movies we have talked about other times. Emily Blunt, Maggie Smith are both in Nomeo and Juliet. He does the sequel to that yeah. a couple years later as well. Sherlock Gnomes. And then Cars 2 had Bonnie Hunt and John turro So goes to the voice
1: acting side. He's old. And he has a great voice. Yeah. Yeah, why did it take him so long to do this? Yeah. I expected to see more of this. Maybe he finds voice acting boring.
2: That's true. I mean, who knows? He did teach a bunch of acting classes in the 80s all about, like, how to play to the camera and play to the your fellow actors. And he's got these style. And then it's like, how do you do that? Just sitting in a studio and recording lines
0: for a day also made it clear that he'll do something for the check though
2: (laughs) yeah i mean he did jaws the bag is
0: big enough that's (laughs) right now you see me
2: the movie that aubrey mentioned he did the sequel as well there's the third one coming out he's doing
0: the third one as well how there are three of these movies i have no idea
1: people fucking love magic aubrey
0: i know it's street magic dude i would consider myself to be one of those people in movies i like movies that are about magic I just think it's interesting. However, and the first time now you see me came out when I watched it a while ago, like on its release, I thought it was good. Rewatching it just recently, I think this movie's terrible. And I also think that Mark Ruffalo's character, who is mostly a person who hates magic, is the person who wrote this movie. It's a movie about magic, but seems to not like or respect the magicians at all. Yes. And it's just a bizarre movie. What a reflection. It's weird. It's so weird. I remember liking
3: the first one and then hating yeah. the second one. And so you saying rewatching the first one, it also sucks. I
0: probably just won't rewatch it because I definitely know I'm not going to see the third one. For I don't sure. remember anything about Now You See Me Too except uh, I don't even- I think they were in a bank and they threw a card that's it. and it hit the ground and skipped around. It, that's all the only thing I remember about Now You See Me Too.
1: I'm learning tonight that since 2006, Michael Caine loves magic. <laughs> and I'll start with prestige prestige and now he's done three more <laughs> <laughs> probably more than
2: that
0: great movie about magic
1: this is a bit of his four right. magic film come on
2: in the least surprising role choice of all time he was in king's secret service in 2014
0: <laughs> <laughs> that movie is great No, yeah, it's phenomenal i think that movie is great sequels awesome
4: i've never seen any of these movies
0: whoa I saw the
3: one that was like the super campy one, which I want to say was uh, one of the more recent ones. And it was prequel. Hilarious. It was great. I enjoyed it so much.
2: You're probably thinking of the second one where, um, Julianne Moore. Yep. 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 That's the the one. The great villain. She's great. Yeah. Rigby, get your shit together. Those movies are a lot of fun and (laughs) the camera works. Incredible.
0: Yes. Action is great. I think the first one is a legitimately great movie. The second one is messy, but it's a lot of fun yeah
2: it's
3: purposely mm-hmm. stupid, like yeah, in certain sure. parts, yeah
0: a crossover with uh maddie
2: Dylan in 2017's going in Style with other old ass actors doing old ass things, oh yeah, oh yeah <laughs> he's one of those three old ass actors in that movie, and then, like I mentioned, just very brief appearance as a voice in Dunkirk so he can say he made it into that Nolan film. just gotta get it across, get it on the board, baby. 2017, another Seth Green crossover in Dear Dictator with uh, Odea Rush, where he plays like a, plays a, gen- a foreign general who is the worst human ever and has to escape and ends up going to America to stay with one of his biggest fans, who is this girl who's writing him, and she has to hide him,
1: that he exists. Well, Michael Caine likes to get paid, so it makes sense. That's right. <laughs>
2: uh, 2020, he's in one scene in Tenet, plays Crosby.
0: <laughs> I remember getting so hyped in the theater when he showed up, too.
2: Sir Michael Crosby shows up for one scene to, ex- again, explain the significance <laughs> of the situation and then disappears forever. They reference him later in the movie, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Tenet's badass. I, I liked it on the rewatch because I had a better idea what the fuck I was watching. Um, Come Away, a crossover with Gugu and Botha Ra and Angelina Jolie. I talked about this before, a very dark twist mm-hmm. on Peter Pan that did not go over mm-hmm. well at Sundance that year. And with critics since then, but hey, here we are. Another movie that did not go over well with critics at all because it was Lena Headey's lowest critic score was *Twist*. He plays Fagin, a pretty big role in this movie of a modern retelling of the *Oliver Twist* novel uh, with street kids and,
1: and uh hardcore parkour. If you guys remember talking about that one, <laughs> this movie didn't score with anybody. Nine and eight for critic yeah. Fans. <laughs> That's all.
2: And it's not just like a side character. He plays a pretty main role in this. So that's a hit on the old resume. And then most recently, bestsellers with Aubrey Plaza. I know Aubrey watched it and said he loved it.
0: I love this movie. I feel like it's a little bit made for me, though. It's just like it's a real intimate like character study. You're just analyzing these two people and how they deal with trauma and loss and expectation. You kind of go through just... Short journey through that with these two, and they're both killing it. Like, Aubrey Plaza is really getting after it. I love this movie. Like it's, I this is an easy recommend. Go watch this if you can. I was disappointed that I couldn't get to it on her episode. I really wanted to watch it. I'm glad I got to it this time. We were too busy watching the pistol shrimps, my man. It's a fact. We're busy. Hope they're
1: doing good. Speaking of documentaries, before we go on, people listening, if they don't have a good feel for Michael Caine's personality, watch a documentary called My Generation. Basically describes the 60s as as he saw it. And it's a really, it's a really fun watch. I'm really interested to see if
2: we can come up with a top performances list, because this is not going to be easy. Is it a top 100 list? <laughs>
4: <laughs> to no one's surprise, there's a lot of lists out there. I didn't find a lot that were actually ranked numerically, though. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and give it to Caf G 0 a commentator on IMDb. <laughs> he ranked uh, Michael Caine's top 10 performances. This list is from 2018, so it has most, if not all, of his performances from his career. And it is ranked from 10 to 1. So let's give... Caf FG zero is due, and I will. I think we. I think we talked about or mentioned all but one. I don't. I think there's one on here that we didn't mention.
2: All right, so we can cross off Jaws: to Revenge. I don't think that's yeah. going to make it. Uh, we
3: mentioned. Uh, we mentioned the Muppets movie, so
2: that's probably a good chance of being on
3: there.
4: It's not.
2: But it's, I was just about to say, but he's got so many bangers. Yeah, I
4: could exactly. see exactly.
2: This is going to be right. tough. All right, legitimate guess. It's got to be Alfie, right?
1: Alfie is number one. Oh, okay, nice. I got a dog horse for you guys. The Romantic English Woman. Nope. I'm going to go Sleuth, obviously. Sleuth's number two.
2: All right, we're going down the list, boys. Come on. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit here to get to number three.
4: Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. That is number seven. Still on the list. Still counts. <laughs> Anna and Her Sisters. Number six. And Get Carter was the other
1: guest. Uh no, that's not on here. Oh, interesting. No, no, the lone one he he meant. <laughs> <laughs> uh give me uh the Ipcris file. Nope. Ooh, that was a good guess though. Harry Palmer didn't
2: make it. Dress the kill?
4: Nope. Think of his Oscar winning performances. I don't watch any of those
2: movies. <laughs> Alright. Uh oh, so Cider House rules. <laughs> yep. That's number nine. Okay. Um can be educating Rita.
4: Educating Rita is number five.
2: Told you, boys. Add it to your list.
4: The Man Who Would Be King. Man Who Would Be King is three. Yeah,
2: that's great. Has to be there. Cars 2. He
0: said Cars 2.
4: Yeah, (laughs) Cars 2 is not on the list. (laughs) We need number eight, which I don't think we mentioned. Ten. And six and four. One of
0: the Batman movies.
4: No. Not on here. Oh, Prestige. Nope. Oh, interesting. The Proceeds on here. I reject this list.
2: All right. Well, I'm gonna keep going back. Death Tra- Death Trap.
4: Did Death Trap make it? No, it did not. Disappointingly, it did not.
2: California Suite maybe. Well, no, Gotta be at the that? end of the list. Like California
4: Suite is number four,
2: actually. Oh, I mean, it's good. He's good that
1: movie.
2: I'm with it. Mona Lisa. No. Nope. Oh, good guess. Italian Job. Right? No surprised that it's not this
0: congeniality
2: this is how good his career is bro we're sitting here guessing legitimate top 10 guesses and we've had like eight of them i know we're like nah didn't make it zulu oh
1: nope children of men nope
2: oh damn fill in the
4: gaps for the other ones what else we got so number eight which i don't think we mentioned little voice oh yeah it's
2: in from like 1994 96 1998 yeah something
4: like that and then number 10 the quiet american that yeah, makes sense. That's his other Oscar nominated
1: role.
2: <laughs> I tell you, I don't remember much of the film, but I remember it being good.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, as I was doing my box office research, I found a website called the top 10 worst movies starring Michael Caine. Oh, nice. <laughs>
2: okay.
1: I'm just going to go ahead and count them back from 10. Number 10, Miss Congeniality. Oh. I disagree on Miss Congeniality. Number nine, The Weatherman. Water, you're very welcome, Aubrey. Number seven, Swarm, you're welcome, Kyle. Number six, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Number five, Cars 2. Damn it, oh, wow. Number four, a movie that we didn't talk about, Ashanti. Number three, Blue Ice. Number two, you're welcome, Rigby, Jaws the Revenge. And my personal favorite, and another reason to mention it, Numero Uno, On Deadly Ground, starring Steven Seagal. Wow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the worst movie
4: ever. Worst Michael Caine movie. I'm kind of mad at myself that we didn't do that one. Instead so these of, are like, worst
2: Michael Caine movies, not Michael Caine performances, right? Oh, good point. Not performances. You're top 10 okay. worst movies starring okay. Michael Caine. Yep. Okay. All right. Very important distinction. I don't want to throw any. And I'm going to be honest, it's a fair list. My whistleblower wasn't on it, so I think yeah, it's fully yeah. good. I will it's say most of, the,
4: most of the top lists out there are ranking his, or they mentioned his movies, not his performances, so. Okay, we
2: know what we do here. All right. All right, so Munson Meter, what we do, we rate every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors that can include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their acting range, their awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life, comedic chops, box office success, and anything else that matters to us as Munson. And this time we will start with James.
3: We mentioned it before. He is one of, I believe it's only four actors who's been nominated for an Oscar in at least five consecutive decades. I don't know if it gets much better than that when it comes to longevity. I think he's funny. I think he's charming. I think he can play serious roles. He can make you cry. Uh, he's in so many Christopher Nolan movies that I love. Don't necessarily hold it against him, but Christopher Nolan doesn't seem to stretch him too much. He, he's found a niche that he likes him at, and he kind of just uses him in the same role in those. Um, multiple Oscar winner and I think it is the one thing I actually will take away some points from is one of the things that he is clearly the best at is in his earlier career he was the leading man and I think he really found his lane as one of the best supporting actors there is. Um, I think that is the only reason why I would take a few points away Uh, near the end of his career. Obviously, he's had some stinkers, but there are so many bangers in there, and so I gave him an 84.
1: Ace. Yeah, James, I think you nailed most of the points there. I mean, the guy's an icon. He's the embodiment of the saying, everybody else in that movie's bad, but he's really good. I mean, it's almost every movie he's in. He comes on the screen, he stands out. I don't know that he always selects great projects, and he doesn't always work with a lot of other Great performers. I'm going to give him my, my second highest score ever behind Leo. Just and I think the only thing that separates the two of them is that I'm just a lot more familiar with all of Leo's work. I mean, Michael Caine's an icon, and it's tough to come up with anything negative say, to say about him. And, and so those are the only critical things I have. Otherwise, I think James nailed it. I'm going to give him a 93.
2: For the record, case your second highest score is actually Jamie Lee Curtis at 94.
1: Well, I'm giving my, I'm gonna give him my third highest score then with a 93. <laughs> I had a lot of fun
2: researching Michael Caine. I saw a lot of movies that were phenomenal that I'd never seen before. This is why I love this podcast because I get to close blind spots like this of stuff that I've always kind of heard about, yeah. but never really had any reason or been compelled to sit down and watch them. And so when we when we pull a Michael Caine, yeah, 175 credits is a lot, especially for the person who has to pull all the figure out all the research, find out what streaming where, and then build the show notes. But it's a good challenge because he's so impressive as a performer and as a human for a pop culture standpoint, the fact that everyone knows Michael Kine and will try to do that. Like, yeah, I don't know if there's very few actors we cover that has his level of pop culture impact. Granted, since if you've been working since the forties and fifties, that helps, but especially to be a British Person and then be that big in the states. Like a lot of times, that doesn't translate depending on the actor. So I think that's cool. I also think it's phenomenal. Like 80s, like acting classes in the 80s. These videos that like people would show in drama schools. So like the impact he's had on the industry is huge. Like I saw a Graham Norton interview where he was like, yeah, in drama school, like we studied your stuff. And other actors are like, yeah, I've seen your videos. Like I learned how to act and how to do stage. And He's such a theater legend. Like we didn't talk much about his theater stuff, but like if you look in the '50s and '60s, I mean, he's doing incredible stage work. So the guy can do pretty much anything. And while he does have some Razzie noms peppered in there with his Oscar wins, right? Very few people have done what he's done longevity wise throughout his career. Yeah, he's got stinkers though, and so you have to keep that in mind when when. When uh, scoring him. So I am I essentially appear, compare him to Maggie Smith, right, for scoring, because those two have had very similar careers and impacts. Um, and with that, I'm going to give him one point higher than I gave Maggie. I gave Maggie a 90, so I'm giving him a 91.
0: Aubrey. Uh, so, yeah, you guys said a lot of uh, what there is to be said about him. I think that he's a legitimate legend. I know we toss out a lot of, like, mm-hmm. Terms like that with actors, but to me, he is a legitimate legend. Like going through his filmography put me on in a way that I I probably never would have if I didn't have this opportunity. Because mm-hmm. speaking to his longevity and speaking to his pop culture impact, he means different things to different people. And that speaks to the quality of actor he is. He might be the best supporting actor that I've ever seen. And when I talked to my dad about what we were doing, my dad talked to me about um, the man who would be king in Zulu. And my mom talked to me about, she talked to me about the Italian job. And when I talked to my wife about him, we talk about his Nolan run. Everybody knows Michael Caine and they know him in a different way and they love him and appreciate him for a different thing. You know, as the older, you know, mentor type guy, the Nolan, then you go back and you see him in Alfie. And I'm just blown away by the charisma and the charm and the leading man ability. To me, this was this was one of my favorite journeys doing actors filmography. I'm impressed. I'm in awe of him. He's just a legend. I give him a 90.
2: Rigby, close us out.
4: Yeah, I mean, you guys said it all, so there's not much else to say. I love Michael Caine. We've mentioned the stat about him being one of the f- four actors or actresses to be nominated for an Oscar five straight decades. Just to name who they are. Lawrence Olivier, Meryl Streep, and Jack Nicholson.
1: Holy shit. <laughs> so
4: that says, yeah, says all you need to know. Notwithstanding his appearance in Jaws Revenge, he's going to get, I think, my second highest score. He's going to get a 95.
2: That is very
4: accurate. Oh
2: spicy. All right. With that, that gives Michael Caine a 90.6, which puts him in second place. Awesome. Slightly above Philip Seymour Hoffman. Wow. feels fair
4: I, I love it yeah i think he i think philip seymour got my third so i'm right on i'm right online. line i got leo
2: first
0: michael kane philip seymour
2: aubrey what has he got coming
0: so he's 90 which colors this because he has 175 credits but only has two things coming one of them is the affirmation aforementioned now you see me three which could get him his oscar <laughs> so that would be six decades so that'll be good let's hope so there's five writers already credited to this movie. Ooh, never a good sign. I feel like it's going to be terrible, but he does have another movie called The Great Escaper. If he stars opposite Glenda Jackson, and it's Bernard Jordan escapes from his care home to attend the 70th anniversary of the D-Day landings in France. I feel like this could get him his Oscar. Sounds awesome. It just kind of gives off that vibe. The Jackson has a bunch of nominations and Oscar wins Yep, that one. I'll keep my eye on for sure. Now you see me three. I hope disappears.
1: <laughs> I was desperately hoping the great escaper was going to be a Harry Houdini biopic, but <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> it's not
2: five actors. We're going to throw on the wheel for the next episode. It's going to hit March 30th. Our featured guests were bringing back Matty Grohl. He was with us for Haley Steinfeld, Chris Hemsworth and Sam Rockwell. The Wheel selected one of these five, and he decided to join us. So we've got Robert Pattinson, John Slattery, Joan Allen, Sanaa Lathan, and Jamie Bell. What do we love, like, or dislike about that
0: list? The only answer is Sanaa Lathan. Oh, my goodness.
2: She's talented, man. And not ugly. She's very talented.
0: But not ugly. Oh, my
4: God. John Slattery would be fun just to talk about Mad Men. That's one of my favorite
0: shows. i take Never Finished Mad Men.
4: Joan Allen's been in some good ones. I'd love to talk about Face Off. I don't think we've talked about Face Off yet. We
0: haven't. We've never talked about Face Off.
2: No, that'd be fantastic. He's in Room. Nixon. Yep. The Crucible. I think we talked about one. Somebody we covered.
0: Pattinson would be great, but it feels
2: a little early. Feels early for Robin. I agree. Oh, a great Joan Allen movie
4: is
1: The Contender. That's an awesome movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. If we got Lathan, we'd get to talk about Now You See Me 2 again. Okay. we'll fire that one up
0: boys Sonali lathan is the choice it'll be the longest episode in months in history because i will spend hours talking about brown sugar <laughs> and loving basketball and basketball
2: she's an alien versus predator that's her top imdb credit oh, yeah she's great in that
0: movie yeah she's an alien versus predator but that's
2: and craig 52 credits
0: that's a, that's a cultural thing
2: pretty good i like that helps me build better
0: Show notes.
2: <laughs> I could cut this spreadsheet in half.
4: So what I'm hearing is everyone wants to annihilate them? Who the hell's John Slattery? <laughs> Roger Sterling, and uh, he's like the gray haired guy in uh, Mad Men.
2: Plays. Uh, he plays um, Robert Downey Jr.'s father in in the Marvel universe. Too.
4: He's Ben Bradley Jr. in
2: Spotlight. Yep, that's true. The Adjustment Bureau is the other one I could think of. Yeah, he's like the main guy in Adjustment Bureau. He is Tony totally
0: Stark's dad in one in one Iron Man movie, isn't
2: he? He's in multiple he's in endgame, he's in the show, he's in
0: oh, I thought it was
2: okay. That character showed up a bunch over the years. Jamie Bell would be the my least favorite. how's Jamie Bell. Oh uh, you know him. He's a short little white guy with blonde hair. Well he's a brunette but short little white guy with blonde hair. <laughs> wow he, he played Billy he played Billy Elliot as a child actor. Uh, he's in Jumper, he was in a Rocket Man He's in that really bad 2015 Fantastic Four. He's in Sno- Snowpiercer, which is cool.
1: He's married to Kate Mara, and he was previously married to Evan Rachel Wood. I mean, seems to be popular with the ladies. Like the list
0: right there.
2: He only has 33 credits, and first film was Billy Elliot.
0: He's one of those that like seems like he's really talented, he just hasn't found the right collection of movies yet. Yep.
1: I hope he doesn't find his way out to our show. <laughs> <laughs> Who do we think, Marty? picked,
2: knowing his background of Haley, Chris Hemsworth, and Sam Rockwell.
0: Joan Allen. Joni? Lathan. I want it to be Snot-Lathen so bad, but I think it's Robert Pattinson. It's
2: probably going to be. He has picked a lot of popcorn-like actors. Pretty popular. Well, we'll see. He doesn't decide. We don't decide. The uh, the wheel sides. We'll see what happens. Thanks for joining us. Glad you made it this far, and we know this was a long episode, but when you're covering Sir Michael Caine, can't it's hard not to tell the full story once again thanks for joining us as always you can find us on twitter munson's at movies you can find us on the instagram munson's at the movies you can email us munson's at the movies at gmail.com any final thoughts from michael Kang.
1: don't play the laughing boy there are only two things i can't stand in this world people who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the dutch but
2: munson's out
0: Let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a Ph.D. in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?
3: According to Gallup polls, one in 12 Americans is unaware that the bird is the word.